Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of the Imagine Only Podcast, a podcast where we dive into the 80s and we talk about a British movie. Uh, my name's David, and I shit him. I'll have to explain why we find that quite so funny in, in just a few <laughs> seconds. Uh, my name's Sam, and uh, join us as I watch the films that Dave makes us so you don't have to. I am wounded. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I always get I get a bad rap with you and Ross sometimes. Um, not totally unfairly, that's true. Uh, I think justified. the way that the taste it's like a spectrum. It's like you know the political spectrum. So I'm I'm way on the left. I'm way on the left, like artsy, like wanky David Lynch films that make no sense and don't really have any plot. And 14 hours long, I'm like, yes, I'm there for it. Fantastic. <laughs> and you're and Ross is like the other side where if there isn't an action scene every 10 minutes, a, he's a reactionary. Like and yeah. you're somewhere, you're somewhat of a floating voter where you're kind of centrist. <laughs> you just called me a centrist dad. Is that what you've just done? I did. Yeah. Am, I, yeah. am I a centrist dad? Okay. I mean, probably reasonably when it comes to this films. Politically, I'm, I'm, let's burn the fucking state down right now. But <laughs> when it comes to watching, yeah, my, my movie taste, it's probably about right. There. Yeah, and that's fine. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a case of so. What happens is, I suggest we watch like an excellent movie, like um, like a high rise, excellent movie, and then mm. you both hate it because obviously my taste is trash, and then my taste is trash forever going forwards. In fact, inside podcasting, the WhatsApp chat we have to discuss the podcast is called the Dave Nuremberg Trials, <laughs> uh, which is a rather off color joke about World War Two. Um, but also should give you some idea of these people's opinion of me. It's a, it, I didn't name it that. I didn't make that joke. You did. Dave, it's a joke that I would have preferred not to prefer, uh, share with the audience. <laughs> not that we're belittling war crimes in any way whatsoever. Uh, that's a legal statement. Thank you for that. Uh, yes, no, pod- podcast does not endorse uh, trivialising war crimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think that your movie selection sometimes does hit the level of war crime, uh, just to counteract my previous In statement. In fairness, it usually comes from a place of, I've watched a movie and really enjoyed it, and want you guys to watch it and enjoy it as well, and, yeah. and it and, often doesn't pan out that way. And what I would say is I'm maybe more centre-left in your analogy, because I think most of the time I do really enjoy your taste in movies. When we start hitting the fucking teen... Uh, <laughs> well, know, that's, that's less artsy and wanky and more just sort of something wrong with my brain, I guess. When, when we're working through Dave's, uh, you know, th- uh, therapy sessions on the podcast because he just he's, he's stuck as a 14-year-old or whatever it is, like, that's when I'm less having fun. But it's Dave, this... Arrested Development. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But this movie, uh, The Long Good Friday, 1980s, Bob Hoskins... Crime thriller. This I really enjoyed. Is one of my favourite movies. Um, wow, this is strong. A criminally, a criminally unknown movie. I just mm-hmm. we discussed this. I I really enjoy a movie you just sort of you're there for, and this is the exact kind of movie where, like, there is a plot and it's quite convoluted, but mostly you're just kind of like watching things happen and you're enjoying the sights and the sounds, and and that's kind of the perfect. That's the height of movie going for me. Is I don't really want to have to like. Sometimes I don't really want to be like mentally cha- mentally challenged when I'm watching a movie. If you, if that makes sense, and I don't mean mentally challenged, I mean challenged mentally. Does that make sense? Um, sometimes I don't want to have to think loads and like solve a mystery before the characters I've got on the screen are solving a mystery. 
sometimes it's okay for me to solve it along with them, like in this movie, where you absolutely aren't given the information to solve it before they solve it. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's... I was I was asking a lot of questions watching this movie. I was going... I mean, it, it was slightly late, and I was a bit tired, and you know, but also, what's happening? Who's... Which which British guy is this? Because they all look just like potatoes in this film because it's the 1980s. There, there is a certain amount of that. Everyone it's looks Br- like a British potato. actors before probably like 2000 when they all started appearing in Hollywood movies. Like, there's a real... Everyone smokes 45 cigarettes before lunchtime and then they have a steak <laughs> and then they smoke another 60 cigarettes and, and, and wash it down with a bottle of scotch. And they were doing for- that for 60 years of films before that. Two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. You know what I mean? Like, it really is... Uh, it's quite funny. But this is a good, this is a good film... Um, it's an interesting film. It's also a film I don't think we've really explored this genre before. Certainly not like we don't do very, very many British movies, which I think is probably a symptom of. Again, they're not like they're not they're not really in the cultural consciousness as as the same you know the same way that I think American movies are because of our transatlantic you know media consumption. But at the same time. They're also, I think, harder to engage with, especially ones from the past. Like it, it can be a bit more difficult. And then this they is a movie have where a bit more of an ask. Uh, yeah, and I, I kind of apply that to all a lot of British moments. To name a few really big British movies, obviously you've got Clockwork Orange and Two Thousand and One, like huge British movies, but very British, um, and you know a bit unapproachable and quite long. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like again, they're asking you to sort of engage. The Ipcris Files, which I watched a few weeks ago uh, with Michael Caine. Again, it's kind of like a, it's the reason that we never heard of it and was <laughs> talking about it is because it's the sort of thing that you would struggle more to get an American audience to engage with. Not because it's bad, just because it's the different aesthetic and it's the pacing's different and, and the, yeah. the shots are different and even the colour palette. Like this film, it, it looks like Britain because it, everything is grey. And brown, mm-hmm. everything was grey and brown mm-hmm. until about nineteen ninety eight, more or less. Until yeah. Tony Blair got into office, like everything was brown and brown and grey. Yeah, then it was slightly red, but still pretty brown, like <laughs> maroon. Everything was maroon. That's the thing I'm going for. <laughs> we loved maroon because it was cheap. It's a word yeah. for class colour, Sam. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't uh, tying itself up, thinking it was better than it's <laughs> putting on airs above its mauve, station. Mauve, that's a, that's an upper class colour. Maroon was good enough for us. <laughs> we used to eat gravel from Middle Road. Maroon tasting gravel. Um, yes. So this film was is is a good one. Let me just have a wee summary, which is an, an up and coming gangster is tested by the insurgence of an unknown and very powerful threat. I'm going to give you a hint. It's the IRA, which is, <clears throat> which is kind of like in the eighties. That's quite a relevant cultural uh, reference, isn't it? That the Irish Republicans are going around blowing shit up, which they were doing a fair bit of that. Uh, and so I think there's that. That must have been a useful like. What what. I'm trying to say, I think I'm trying to say that when in the past, you know, before like 9-11, like terrorists, th- it was Bing. it was the IRA. Was mentioned 9-11 listeners. Yes, there we go. You win a prize. And I think this movie is like, a, this movie captures that pretty well in terms of what people were worried about in the 1980s. 
you know, and this if you were a gangster in the 1980s, clearly that was a threat. <laughs> you, should, you, you should watch out. It's the sort of thing where I mean, a lot of Guy Ritchie's films, I think, take so much from this from this movie um, and movies like it um, mm. because they're trying to capture that Cockney sort of like and and um, Hoskins in this movie. So you've read the plot, but obviously that's not helpful at all. No, it's <laughs> terrible. I and the basic idea is that Bob Hoskins is like a he is a he is a you know a gang leader who is looking to he's a, he's a mobster basically and he's looking to become legitimate. And how he wants to do that is basically he wants to build Canary Wharf. Heard of it? Um, <laughs> this movie is the so prescient in some ways. He wants to build. He wants to get the money together to redevelop the dockland in London at the time. Um, and he's clever. He's intelligent. He's brutal. He's violent. He's stupid. He's all of these things all at once. Uh, so he goes to America to try and put together this deal and get some American capital to help to redevelop these docklands. And he says, oh, there's billions to be made and blah, 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 blah. And it all rings true because it all fucking happened. Not when this movie was made, but in the intervening four decades, absolutely all of this happened. Yeah. Um, and while he's away, basically, one of his one of his lieutenants uh, basically pisses off the IRA. That's that's the thing. We don't know it's the IRA. We, we kind of know it's the IRA from the start, but we don't know, but we know. And, and the, so the whole movie is then him trying to keep the American investors calm while also trying to like get his house in order, trying to figure out who's the word to he says is someone's having a poke at us. Who is it? Mm. You know. Mm -hmm. Now you've summed that up pretty succinctly, and it was very helpful for me because I was watching this bit again. I was a bit tired, you know, like. I've, but it, it, it's it's an interesting um, the the way that the film presents information is quite interesting because usually in movies we get cutaways where we can see what's happening and we understand a little bit ahead of the of the characters what's going on and so we see, we either see right we're going to take this we're going to take bob hoskins down because he's been pushing it he's been trying or he sent a guy over to us and we want to fuck him over because what he what his mate you know what his guy did wasn't acceptable whatever we get exposition and we get to understand the drivers and the the, the fun is watching the um protagonist react to that whereas this movie kind of doesn't take that approach right in, instead we're drawn along and we're learning things as hoskins learning things so if, for me i i kind of felt it was a little bit difficult to follow up points there were points where i was i'm going what the only clue i had is that i saw pierce brosnan as a young pierce brosnan and looked up his you know the, the the film and IMDb, and it said Irishman one is how he's credited. <laughs> and I kind of wish I hadn't done that because it obviously then went. Mm, it's the nineteen eighties. Who would there be Irish bad guys in the eighties? It's going to be the IRA. So, but I think I wonder how, as you go through the movie, if you can pick up on the clues. For me, I didn't really see any clues. It's more that it's just kind of like you're waiting. For Hoskins to what's going on. In the intervening 43 years since this movie came out, um, as you turn to dust, 1980 was 43 years ago. Um, yeah. We uh, wouldn't in even the intervening 43 years, I think some things have been lost. I think that in the very... So the opening sequence of this is that Colin, who's the guy who gets murdered in the swimming pool, um, he's in a pub. They call him Balok. <laughs> call him Balok. Call him Balosh. Um, Balosh. That's the He's line. in a pub. Balosh. He's in a pub, 
in Ireland, and um, and actually, I thought this was like quite out there for 1980. And he's a gay man. He's picking up a man to go and have sex with. That man is Gibbs from Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, <laughs> so we've got and, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we've got Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, straight off the bat. So number one, he's is in this pub. So we see him with a suitcase full of money. He takes some money out of it, winks at the driver who's driving him about, and then delivers the money. Uh, then he goes to the pub, obviously, because it's 1980. What else are you going to do on an evening? There's no internet, and there's probably only two channels. God, Jesus. So, and exactly, and then the co-op might have repossessed your TV if you missed if you didn't pay the rent on it that week. <laughs> uh, these are man. all things that were happening in the UK in 1980. <laughs> uh, my mum's parents rented a TV until the late 90s. Um, my dad did this as well. He's probably listening and he can probably tell me about it at some point. But, like, renting a TV, yeah, that's a crazy idea, isn't it? Well, it's not any now crazier we... than, like, leasing a car now. It's the same or... thing. Yeah, I suppose so. Or but, like, it's just, that was maybe. the high-priced item back then that people couldn't afford to buy. So mm. they rented it. Um, so anyway, so... so they're in the pub. And what we see then is these... Honestly, Irish guys, and they sound Irish and they look Irish, not to be racist, but they look Irish, uh, in this house, counting the money. They put it in all these piles. And then men with guns storm the building. So I think that we're looking at it and thinking, oh, who are those men with guns? Because we're the Mission Impossible generation, and we're like, oh, it's all like a... There's, 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 there's secret societies in secret societies, whereas at the time, I think you would associate like tactical people with assault rifles as that's the army, like very clearly the British army, especially because the characters in the building are Irish. I think so I think that watching this at the time, you you might very much more quickly say, Oh, it's the IRA. With like, with the away. cultural uh, yeah. goings on around in, in the nineteen eighties and the troubles are, are in yeah, full swing. Yeah, because Northern Ireland in nineteen eighty would have been a dangerous place to be. So you would have instantly mm. been, oh something's going on. Why they are not in North, they're only in Northern Ireland to deal with the IRA. That's literally the only reason you'd be there. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I honestly, I, I, and again, I think this might be a case of me not really uh, being awake. I suppose, but but nonetheless, there were no points when I was bored during this film. There's no points where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite enjoying the fact that I'm discovering the what's going on with Bob Hoskins' character because well, it's at the start of the movie, though. the start of the movie, everything's going up. You know, everything's coming up. Millhouse for him. He's completely. He's got the Americans coming in. He's got his married Helen, to Helen Mirren, nineteen eighty. Helen Mirren girlfriend. I mean, Jesus, not a bad get, Bob Hoskins, because you're four foot ten with uh, with the platforms on. Potato, you look like a potato. <laughs> <laughs> really sorry, but it's fine. He's been dead for ten years. Let's not worry about yeah. it. <laughs> but he he's doing he's doing um, he's doing well for himself, obviously. And we don't we we kind of know he's a bit he's a bit of a, a geezer. But we're not really we're not really fully into like the fact that he's a proper gangster yet, and so he's getting this, and the Americans are coming, and he's blah blah blah, blah and he's trying to you know he's they're on a boat, they're doing this like amazingly nineteen eighties thing where they've got you just imagine them serving meringues and tin peaches and cream and like you know just really just it it, it drips nineteen eighties, which I think is. Not something we get to see in films that often from a British perspective. Like we obviously get like uh, Beverly Hills Cops, 1980s America, and it's great and we love it and that's fun. But we don't get to see the British side of that very often or, or you know, or, or in, at least in the genre movies that we watch all the time. And we and don't that's... get to see the British version, the, 
working class version yes i think is important as well because i think this is a really Good working point. class movie which is an odd pull for a movie about this quite obviously quite wealthy couple but everything around them is very so that the whole uh, the backstory for bob hoskins character which we get a little bit of is that him and his he calls it his corporation which again guy Ritchie is just sat in a movie theater wanking in 1980 uh thinking one day i'm gonna make all the, all this and yeah. his corporation and basically him and a load of other he's the biggest gangster in central in london and the other boroughs are all run by other people and there's like a piece there's like a we're not going to go after each other because we're all too busy making money because that's just in power and so there's just money fucking falling out of people's pockets in london and that's you know somewhat um historically accurate mm-hmm. mostly falling mm-hmm. out of poor people's pockets and into rich people's pockets as much as like bob hoskins who's runs casinos and pubs and <laughs> all sorts of things as was economically designed at the time absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but like all the characters we see with the supporting cast of characters I really like a lot of Razors the sort of like uh, you know the silent henchman with the big scar on his face um, I love this guy I need who 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 plays him because I want to see what else he's he was doing because PH <laughs> was, um, oh my god his, oh my god his name so he plays Razors in the film and do you know what do you know what his real name is PH Moriarty yep. oh that's that. He's also was in uh, Lockstock um, and Two Barrels, whatever it is, the Guy Ritchie movie. But he was a yeah. boxer and longshoreman. Oh, this guy. Yeah, and he just became an actor when he was like 45 in that grand British tradition of just like, don't take this the wrong way, Razors. I'm sure you've been dead for 20 years, but like really He's... ugly men just deciding they're going to be actors. He was in a film in 2001. I think he's still alive. Really? Holy shit. Holy, holy shit. He was rough yeah. in 1980 when this came out. Um, you've got mm. a really good supporting cast of characters. You've got Bob Hoskins, you've got Razors. He's a great, great sidekick because he's going to cut people up. And, you know, you say go and murder those children, he's murdering those children. That's just, you know, it's understood. Uh, you've got Jeff, who's his, like, uh, his, his, his friend who's, you know, he's the young up and comer. He's the, you know, his protege. Uh, this guy, interestingly, um, I watched this with a, a friend of mine from Weeds called Simon the first time I watched it, and we kept referring to him as Charlie Fairhead because that's his character's name in Casualty. Um, and my mum used to watch Casualty all the time. I've just realised who it is. Yeah, he's been in Casualty for since 45 ni- years. Eight, since 1986. 808. I think he might have just retired. Yeah, maybe, or be about to retire, maybe. I think Holy when I checked Wikipedia, shit. it said 2024, so I think he's maybe leaving. But he's in his 70s now. Um, I, didn't, yeah, that's I, him. Didn't, I didn't That's connect. a really, really young him. Because obviously wow. we saw him in Casualty, Sam. We were kids, basically. Because uh, I presume your mum watched Casualty again because there wasn't that much on TV. Uh, it we was kids. on before The Simpsons, maybe, on a Friday yes, night? Yes, maybe. Something like Something that. Like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, and obviously he was 20 years older when we were watching him. Anyway, so that's Charlie Fairhead. This was more or less the only film he ever did, and then he did Chat Casualty for the rest of his career, and I'm sure made loads of money, so good on him. Um, But he's really good in this. Uh, Helen Mirren, obviously, is one of our esteemable, like, female actors of all time. She really is, like, a you know, Mm -hmm. one of the best British actors we've produced. Um, Baron Hoskins are good. 
but it's you, well, it, she she is obviously, and obviously, you know, she's got celebrity status and all that. But a bit like Bob Hoskins, when you say, "Oh yeah, he's great," and you think, "Okay, so name a movie that you've seen him," and I'm like. He's in Enemy of the Gates for like a bit, like you know. From Roger think, Rabbit. Roger, okay, right there's there's a good one, right? And Helen Mirren, you'd, you'd you'd maybe say, okay, it's the Queen, and and then you and then you're doing the exact same thing. I th- I so I think there's a thing of like a lot of these actors who've been around so long. You're <clears> we've actor. missed. All- We've missed all of the movies when they were young, and when, and this is a good example of one of these films. Same with Hoskins, same with Mirren, and same with the guy from Gazette as well. Of like, yeah, they were making great movies before they were big, almost, or before they had this like. Aura. Well, this was the breakthrough role for Hoskins, definitely in terms of like leading man status. Yeah. Um, and it's just a. It seems like a really good canvas for an actor. This sort of movie where. It is just a, it's a character piece. It's the characters, you know, it's more about the emotional journey than it is about the physical journey. I mean, obviously you've got car bombs going off and some of the stunts are really cool and some of them aren't so good. Um, And the cinematography is really like going for it. But actually this movie kind of like sits on Bob Hoskins' shoulders. I mean, let's talk about the end scene. I know obviously you hate jumping around, but the very final scene of this movie, I think really is what stamps it home for me as like this just fantastic. I love it when a movie just puts a hat a bow on it and be like, right, and that's the movie. And then you just get to fade out and you don't get like seven. So this is this is the bit where like he's... ruin it for you and upset you. Yeah. So he's um he's basically been found out, hasn't he? And he's in the car with the two Irish guys with Pierce Brosnan and And Patrick Harper from Sharp. Ah, there we go. So he's done for, basically. He's done for, isn't he? And he knows that he's He's been. They've got him, and we don't know what's going to happen to him. And so we just get this, like <laughs> we know. <laughs> oh yeah, but we get this exquisite filmmaking of the camera is right in Hoskins' face, and it's not even. We don't can't even see his full face. It's it's his it's his eyes in his mouth, isn't it? That's it, and it's and and it's basically just watching him react, and it's a mix of. Initially, it's kind of shock, and then it's also annoyance and respect. Almost, you know, he's kind of going, and then it's he's like evolving into bile and anger, and he's like, "I'm going to fuck these." And it doesn't know how. We don't know how he's going to get out of it if he can get out of it, but we get to see that. Like, well, it's, it's the realization that he's been beaten, isn't it? It's the it's this. This is a this is a tough man, and and the backstory again is that he's gone from being like presumably some sort of petty street criminal to like running this vast criminal empire. Uh, we see from the abattoir scene that he's kind of like he's the biggest biggest dick in London basically. Uh, mm-hmm. You know he has no qualms about like hauling all these other gangsters in and like you know murdering them if he has to, beating them up, all of that. You know he has vast resources at his disposal. He's talking about this you know multi-million pound development of Canary Wharf, like, and then to have that boil down to basically he doesn't understand because again i love the london centric focus of this which has only gotten worse since 1980 when this movie came out <laughs> yeah. like you know that that the country doesn't exist beyond london and and so his lack of understanding about the ira and about about what they're fighting for because in his world in his rules like this isn't how things are done he's 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 killed the leaders he's he's made a statement and like in any other situation that would mean he he'd have won 
and they'd have backed off and he'd be safe and that's the rules of his world except this is the fucking ira and they don't play by your rules they're not interested in developing canary wharf they're not interested in running casinos and pubs well they they are fighting a war of liberation i mean again i'm not trying to politicize that statement but that is the outlook and what the councillor says. Well, they're, they, they're radicals. They're, you know, um, you know, they don't think he says jihadis, but he says they're, you know. No, 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 no. They say, they say they're political. They're not about money. And this, and this is the thing that Hoskins, that's what he understands, isn't it? Is that he can pay people off or he can muscle them out or he can kill them if he needs to. But if he can't do that, there isn't, like, you don't have any power here. And and this is the thing that he he doesn't understand. I think probably until right in the, the movie that, the, and that's what you're seeing in the back of the car is that realization that that not yeah. not only was he wrong, but everything he built is that's it. It's gone without him and and the whole project and like his life and it's that deflating of ego, which I think and it's just such a I love we call it face acting, which is silly because all acting is face acting mostly. Like most acting is face acting. Yeah, but, but I'll tell you that... what, a lot of actors can't do that. A lot of very yeah. famous Hollywood actors can't sell what Hoskins sells in the back of this car at the end of the movie. You know, so to to support your points about the guy Richie wanking in the cinema watching this movie, <laughs> which is just a oh, that's a that's a vivid imagery uh, as as on form, Dave. This I, I remember. I remember this. Sh- there's a shot similar to this in the at the end of the Gentleman, which is a previous episode. I'm, I'm not sure that you, I don't think you were there, but I think me and Ross watched it. And this is, it, you know, it's a guy. Hasn't that also movie. got Pierce Brosnan in it? Uh, maybe, but I. But this is a London gang centric. You know, it's a guy Richie movie. It kind of follows the tropes, but it very much. Um, and, and and Wikipedia confirms that it is referencing this movie as well, which is an you know a nice little homage, I suppose. But there's so much of um, there's like the, the the journey to get to this point though at the back of the uh, back of the car where Hoskins has been beaten, and and what's interesting about this film is that like he's quite a passive actor, isn't he? Like where we go from the start of the movie, where he's on top of the world, the Americans are coming in, and he's you know he's glad handing and he's ah oh, yeah fantastic, and we're gonna get this thing, we're gonna we're gonna build a millennium dome, it's gonna be brilliant, like he's doing all of this stuff, and all of the things that go wrong, they're not really because of anything that he's done. He hasn't he hasn't he's quite power he's quite powerless in this movie. Yeah, um... and I think. I think that's such an interesting way of of uh, presenting this story because you could have you could have a tale of Hoskins is the big man, is the overlord, and he's gonna he rules the roost. He is the he's the top dog, you know. And then the film is about his excesses and that he's pushed it too far, and that just if only he had just been happy with what he had. And the film's not about that. The film is one of his goons fucked off to Ireland and made a massive mistake and he's getting punished for it completely he doesn't even know who he doesn't even know what's going on even more senseless than that Sam because the actual thing I think is that yeah Colin stole five grand from this thing but the actual problem is the IRA think that think that Colin 
informed the British army about this money drop. That's what they right. think. And they think that these leaders who are counting the money from the councillor, they think that they've been arrested because Colin told the, told the, told the mm. government about them. That's the problem. It's not the five grand that Colin took. Do you know what I mean? That's like, it's, you know, it's, so it's the proportionate response of like, well, you fucked with the IRA and, and they didn't. And that's, that's the, the whole thing about this movie is that they didn't know one really. I mean, yeah, Jeff fucked up a little bit, but, but this isn't really anyone's fault. But unfortunately it's the IRA and a paramilitary guerrilla group. There's no one to reason with. You can't send a letter. You can't make a phone call. You can't go and pay homage. There's no one to talk to. The whole, po- the yeah. whole way the organization is constructed, you can't negotiate with them. That's the whole point. That's the strength of a paramilitary insurgent force. You know, I look at Al-Qaeda with 9-11, like, you know, and, and in Afghanistan and things. Like, there's a reason why you can't negotiate with people and there's, you can't really make war on there's insurgency. No, yeah, there's you know? no figurehead, is there? There's no... And I just think that's a really interesting thematic choice. Like, I just think that's a really thoughtful, clever... You said he's powerless... And that powerlessness, I think, is like one of the most exciting things about this movie. It's a thing that, that as all this is going on, and again, kind of a bit hazy on what happened in Ireland because it, because the film waits right until the kind of end point for all this to come out. But it doesn't matter because when... Um, <clears throat> what's the first act of retribution? There's the bombing of the pub... The car bomb. There's a car bomb. The car bomb. Sorry, that's it. On Good Friday, hence the name. Trying to kill his mother. Trying to kill Hoskins' mother. Is that right? It's unclear who. It blows up and it kills the driver. Kills the driver. Um, And there's another one, isn't there? There's there's a car bomb, and then there's there's a bomb in it. There's a bomb in a pub, or there's a fire in a pub. A bomb in a pub. They find a bomb in a casino, but it hasn't gone off. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, which they're just swinging around, knocking off things. Like I'm like, yeah. But again, he kind of like showcases the power of Hoskins because he's got the police. He's got this like tame policeman, and he's got this tame councillor that they, they, he's been paying them off for years. And it's kind of like a. And again, it's leaning on the tropes of you can kind of see another cut of this movie where Hoskins wins. Where if you took the IRA out of this and it was just a gang war movie, like Hoskins would win in the end. He would. He would. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of, but it's not that. It's the antithesis, antithesis, antithesis. That's the one of that. And it's kind of like a, so he's doing all of the things that you would do in a tropey gangster movie. He's, uh, he's going around and beating up black people because that's something that we did in 1980 to resolve problems. Oh, God, yeah. Um, he's going, he calls in all of these gangsters and he hangs them from meat hooks in one of the best bits of cinematography in the film. Where the camera is hanging from a meat hook and like going around the abattoir, it's, oh, it's amazing! Oh my God, I love, I love. This is a real seventies, eighties movie. I don't know if we touched on that yet. Oh, hundred um, percent. And the cinematography 100%. is one hundred percent seventies. It's a real like gritty, visceral, like uh, um, uh, like almost upsetting and discordant. Like, and I just mean, I don't even mean what's happening on screen. I just mean the way they're presenting it is like it's yeah. in your face. It wants you to feel. It, it wants you to feel the jolt when the the abattoir, because there's a track, isn't there, above, you know, that goes in an abattoir that they hang the carcass from and they pull it along to the next stage. And when it's, and there's a point where it stops and the camera gets jolted because of the, it's stopped and it's you turned. feel it. 
Yeah. You f- you you feel the jolt. You feel like the force of of you know the the human being that's hanging from this, and then um, the guy, one of the guys, again. I, I do think the film isn't really that good at presenting who's who and what's going Doesn't on. Doesn't matter anyway, who's who. These are just guys. When when he's getting, the, you know, he's beating the shit out of someone who's hanging upside down from uh, a in, in, in from a meat hook in an abattoir, and you think, wow, wow. It's an amazing scene. It does beg the question of like, because they arrive in a van, there's a van full of guys hanging from meat hooks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like that seems like and a the, lot of work to put them on the meat hooks before you get them to the abattoir. Yeah, and these are like the these are like the the sub bosses or whatever they call them in. in yeah, in so the, the gangsters, the, the the lads basically. This is what you do in a gangster movie: you round up the people who it might be. So you know, someone is is trying to knock you off and take your your patch. So you round up all the people that you think it might be, and this is what we do mm-hmm. here. And then the police arrive and tell you it's the IRA. Um, and you think, well, fuck. And I love the scene. He's like, um, let them all go. Give them a grand in expenses. And and it's like, right, well, I'll just pay them off and they'll fuck off. And that's fine. I know the, I know these guys and money will work because I can solve my problems by just paying them off. Exactly. Because because that fits the game, doesn't it? That fits the, the, the modus operandi of, of yeah. the gangsters. But we then move into like the different tropes. So we have the... Um, this guy has been in loads of like British soaps as well. Errol, Errol, they call him in the movie, the black guy. Um, they cut up with a machete. Um, oh yeah, well, this they, is horrible. Basically, they go and see a snitch, and they they see a snitch, and we get some peak seventies, eighties tits. Bing, bing, bing. Um, no, well, let's stop there. Let's explain that. What do we mean by that, Dave? Tell me. Casual. You be you be the front in for a this. Movie. That's not even, I would say, not even overly sexualized nudity. It's just a naked woman, and she's just there, and then she's not there. And it's fine. Because nineteen eighty, okay. guess what, Disney? Nobody was fucking extremelized. <laughs> no one was radicalized by this. It's just a pair well, of tits. And because I think it is something that we've identified, isn't it? Is that in seventies and eighties movies, we get some eighties tits. We get some. We're just gonna have some casual. I think it unru- must be a ratings unru- thing. Unremarkable I think it must nudity. Must be like a change in the ratings where. You could have casual nudity in more or less any movie, I think, as long as it wasn't sexual in nature. And then I think that must have changed because there really is like a dividing line of movies where suddenly it's like everything's Terminator 2 where, you know, we can have all the gore and violence and stuff, but sexuality is just gone. You can't have the casual nudity. Janet Jackson nipple slip, maybe. That would have, like, that, 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 that that might be a thing that affected it in America. So that's fun. We enjoyed that. We we let's 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 talk about that for another five minutes. I think let's really just dive into the the detail of that. Two white men talking about tits. <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> God, we'd make a million dollars. The podcast, the movie. Um. So, all of this is all this is really good. Like it's really good. And I'll, again, I love the chase. I love the the, the 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 sense of everything's unraveling for this guy, and we don't know what's going on and how's like do we, we're, we're with him in that unknown and that's really fun and really engaging i also think like just the general spectacle of the movie is quite well presented as well like the 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 pub blowing up and then they're walking around and he's he's having a go at the the barman for not stopping this pub from getting blown up <laughs> like what is this guy gonna do you know, like how, the casino's how the same because he's telling this guy like you don't remember anything odd happening 
And he was like, well, no, apart from the bomb, no, nothing had happened last night. <laughs> and he's like, what do you expect me to do? Search everyone. I make money. I made money. It's fine. And and it's that mundanity. It's the mundanity of it all, which I think is quite, like, it's not cinematic because it's a British movie. And I and I do th- I do skip forward a little bit and think to um, uh, Goodfellas, which is not really the same movie, but I think there is something there is something similar in the characters. The characters are similar. I think the cinematography is a different planet. Obviously, I don't There's even the mean realism wise. of the criminality. I think. Yeah, it's um, not didn't... the Godfather where. <clears throat> Do you know it's I mean? not There's noble a to it and it's like shakespeare you know yeah but um but uh, hoskins character reminds me a little bit of uh de niro in goodfellas in that there's this violent edge to him and he's willing to inflict that i mean not directly because he gets his goons to do it but there's a violence to him which i think is well all the best all the best like all the best tropey mobster characters like grand gangster characters the the way that they really shine is that they're, they're never more than a couple of minutes like they're never more than 20 seconds from ripping someone's throat out yeah and there's yeah. kind of like you get that from hoskins in this movie and you get that from de niro and pesci as well in goodfellas where they're really only ever like one bad word from violence like of some form and and that being something in your toolbox and we look at this as being you know like with awake generation and all of that and and so you know um we're quite soft like i can't even imagine a situation where i would punch somebody i don't really know how i'd do it um god for god help me it doesn't ever happen but like these characters are scary because violence is just there they're just you know oh well i'll solve this problem i'll hit him and that will solve the problem and i'm like well hold on let me get my board out and i'm like i don't i don't follow because i'm not that's not yeah the thing but that's why they're intimidating that's why they're scary because that's not how people act most people don't use violence as like the Oh, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll be violent, and that will resolve the problem. Yeah, problem solved. No, totally. So, so like Goodfellas, and like a lot of action. I mean, less so like, um, what's the one with the? Say hello to my little friend. Uh, Scarface. Scarface. Less so that, which is like over the top. Exactly. Yeah. But more of those more grounded movies, and maybe Goodfellas isn't that isn't that. Goodfellas is on the edge, but there's still like a. But there's but there's a there's an element of truth there, which I think that film managed to capture. I think this film really does capture that for me. It captures that like just sense of what's happening as a gangster in the 1980s, and because he's trying to go straight, because he's trying to gain a certain degree of respectability through his construction, through his he wants to build you know the millennium dome and all this other stuff not literally of course just don't give yourself that's just my joke but like there's all of this there's all of this reality as well and that's well, there's, a, that's there's, like, a, there's a complex character development going on and i think yeah. we've talked about helen mirren in the context of this as well because i think she's yes. an important part of the movie an important facet and i hate to say this and trivialize helen mirren's character down to being a facet of bob hoskins character but she is in a way because she's this, she's the doorway to respectability. She's obviously upper class, and Bob Hoskins obviously isn't. Um, you know, she's obviously like more educated than he is. She's more urbane. She's a bit more articulate than he is. 
and the, you can tell that it that that is the driving force for him to be like no i want to be more articulate i want to be more urbane i want she, to be and he's a thatcherite he's a fucking thatcherite and he wants to like you know he's a yuppie yeah. and he wants to snorting make coke money. and yeah exactly and, and making money and doing all these things you know there's a good i, I think it's a really good point about Mirren, and there's a there's a point in the movie um where the american dudes get a bit flustered he's you know and because hoskins is he he doesn't have the social graces in the same way <laughs> at all and so he's like pressing him is and he and, and i mean the american says don't rush me don't rush me and and then of course here comes Mirren, who who glides into the room and just perfectly says, "Let's give the man some time to, you know, let's give him some space. Let him, let's let him unpack, you know. Come on." And it's like, and then, and then I love, I love the look. I love the look. And it's just, and I, I wonder if it's direction, or if it was Hoskins just deciding to do this. But as he's leaving the room, he looks back, and he gives him the fucking hard ass stare of, "Okay, my girlfriend has just given." <sighs> has just sorted the situation out in a very graceful, socially, you know, really good social graces. But I want you to know that I'm watching you as well, you know, so don't fuck around. Let's get this deal done. And I just yeah. think that's brilliant, quiet filmmaking, you know. And Mirren's character kind of epitomizes that in the movie. Like she gets she gets the job of entertaining the Americans mostly throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Of like uh and even the counselor before they arrive has a big speech about how basically all Americans want to come to Britain and be talked down to by the upper class. Like yeah. that, I think that's literally the line. Because all Americans it. want to come and they want basically like they want an ability to like treat them like shit because that's what they expect and it's what they like. And that's kind of what Mirren it's not treating them like shit, but that's kind of like the in their interactions, Mirren is the one who's urbane and Mirren is they the want one down who's, to like, happy, don't and, they? intelligent whereas when hoskins is interacting with charlie the american guy and the lawyer it's the opposite they're the urbane ones they're the cultured ones and hoskins is the you know he's because he's working class and again there's a whole like thing going on here so as i mentioned the thatcherite thing like because it really is an aspect of this of like bob hoskins is like so clearly working class in this movie and mirren's so clearly upper class and the americans sort of sit somewhere in between and it's and it's Mm. all at odds with with everything else in the movie but in a perfect way where it lets you understand so much more about the characters and again this is something you don't get in american movies partly because we're not as familiar with their class not class system because they don't have a class system like we have a class system but we're not as familiar with the social niceties of america whereas we are familiar with this so it feels real it it feels familiar you feel at home in this movie because even though it's been 43 years since this was made, these class divisions still exist to a certain extent. Yeah. And, and it's all about like, you know, those soft, those soft skills, isn't it? That, that you can, that you can use. We to... don't have, cause we went to state schools. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I would say public school, but that actually means private school. It's very confusing. <laughs> I don't have a handle on it. I never, because understood. I didn't go to public school or private school. I don't know. Yeah. Shut up. Oik. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> it's a, I, I know. I think. I think the class element of this is really interesting, and it, and it, and I think it. I think it. What for me, it raises the movie above. Like what I was expecting, which, to be honest, I have pretty <laughs> low. I mean, again, I love. I mean, your I also recommended Dave. Teen Wolf, so it's somewhere between the two, isn't it? I love you. I love your taste in movie, as we discussed. I love like the 
that you have such a, a style but I, I do think there's sometimes where you can just get you know a movie's working so hard to present itself in one in one way and I think this movie if done wrong it could really be presenting itself as a, a hard gangster movie that's about violence that's about death that's about you know power but because we've identified I think that Hoskins is pretty powerless throughout the rest of the movie what you end up with is is this guy's maybe not life but like his empire is unraveling oh he's definitely getting murdered at the location they're driving to like 100% without doubt surely and and what what a brilliant thing to not show that as well I mean you know to go back to that last shot of the movie just for a second like it's like, so restrained, Sam. Oh, it's and, and even how casino, to talk about to talk about. Hold on, sorry, again. sorry. Just before, just, just 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 to on that on that word restrained, right? How fucking rare is that in in modern movies now? How many films do we watch where we get to see everything? We get to see. 40,000 robots emerging from the sky and we get to see Hulk personally rip apart 20 of them and then and then another uh, Iron Man comes in it's like because of the CGI and because of all we just get to see everything and I can't remember the last time I saw a shot like that in a modern movie where we just had nothing but it the tends actor. to be like the more, again, I'm going to say artsy-wanky is like our parlance and that's not necessarily accurate, but some yeah. of the more artsy-wanky movies, like a lot of the Coen Brothers movies are somewhat similar in that. What's the word I'm looking for? They're not telling a, a traditional movie tale where the hero is introduced and then they have the all is lost moment and then they save the cat moment and then they get the princess and they ride off into the sunset. And that is that you can apply that to fucking the whole MCU is basically that that whole for that formula. Yeah. And when a movie gets away from that, when you're telling a story, but you're telling that story, you aren't telling like a movie story. And this movie is the same. You're telling a story, and that story ends with Bob Hoskins realizing that he's failed, and that these these people have got the upper hand on him, and he misjudged the situation, and all of the things that come along with that in that moment. And then you just cut to black, and the score's bombastic. Like I think um, I was reading a bit of trivia that apparently the director was sat in the front seat of this car giving Bob Hoskins direction, um, and basically they couldn't make that quiet enough, so they just muted the whole scene and then bumped the score up to hide the because that was the best take they had, and it was like, and that's but it just works. And having the the grace and the belief in in your movie to just say and cut and the movie's over, not next time on. The longer, the longer Good Friday, like yeah, or 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 even to see him get out, to, even yeah. or even to to have him figure out a way of getting out of this. And I think you know what I think that one of the things that you, I think what you can see in this movie is that there are there is a clear intentionality, there's a clear story they want to tell, and that's about this guy's downfall and how he's gone from top of the world to the to 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 being bullied you know by by this terrorist group so-called terrorist group but, uh, just to make that a non-political Again, we're statement we're not trying to politicize the ira no, like uh, no. at all um 
so there's i just think like how how well constructed is it goes to the thing that we don't get to see in movies and 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 frequent listeners will uh maybe recognize this is like wow there's themes in this movie it's not just we're presented with stuff and then we have to just figure out what we think about it it's they knew what they wanted from the start and we get thematic elements through this film and the powerlessness and is a theme the directors we talked about editing a lot recently um nowadays they'd have made this movie and then the studio would have had them reshoot the ending because it doesn't set up 1400 sequels oh. and do you know what i mean and so that's part of the problem is that we no longer a lot of movies especially big studio pictures now i don't think directors have and writers have the freedom to like put their put their um you know the story they want to tell on screen because they're kind of at the mercy of well this didn't test well and we don't like this and take this out and change that name um and there was some of that in this movie i think the name was um the paddy effect or something initially like that was i think the shooting name yeah, that was like the 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 development name, I think. Yeah, yeah so maybe not. Um, but like, mm-hmm. obviously, the this the 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 vision of this movie, and I hate to say that because again, wanky artsy stuff. Like the vision of this movie is is concise and it's together. Again, like talking about the Coen Brothers movies as like a non Guy Ritchie alternative to this. It's not necessarily gangster movies, but again, it's telling you a story and it's not necessarily like a satisfying arc for every single character but you are being told a story. Yeah. You know? To- totally, totally. I'm just reading on Wikipedia that the um, <clears throat> that this was made, so yeah, under the title of Panic Factor, the original story, blah, 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 and it was basically going to be put on TV. Um, and then the film was scheduled to be televised in, with heavy cuts, in 1981, because of the plan cuts in, 19, in the late 1980, Hansen attempted to buy back the film um, to prevent ITV screening it. The cuts, he said, would be excretable and, add, and added up to 75 minutes of film that was literal nonsense. And so before the ITV put it on, the rights were bought by George Harrison, as in the Beatles um, company, handmade films for 200 grand less than the production costs given it a cinema release so it, it like as much as we're talking about how oh in the 80s thing, things were free and you could do like this was still this was still languishing under the the uh well the, the studios studio still existed yeah and we yeah or, or not even studios made. but tv like the team because yeah. british cinema didn't have the same you know model uh so it just Crazy, i say yeah it? This it film. happens though. Um, you remember? You won't, I don't think you've seen it. Once upon a time in America, the four-hour um, Sergio Leone film. I have tried uh, to watch that twice. It's fantastic. Another one of my favourite movies. It's, it is four hours long, but you kind of finish it thinking, hmm, "Is it re- finished already?" Um, no, you don't at all because it's four hours is a long time. It's but long. Still. <laughs> but when that was originally released, I think there's a two-hour twenty-minute cut of it that they that the studio insisted. So the, the cut, apparently the cut is one of the worst films most of the critics had seen. And then um, it scre- they screened the full version and everyone was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Why, why would you cut it down? <laughs> so that's the version we watch now. Isn't the fucking bastardized like um, theatrical version. It's the full version. And, and so 
it's always tough isn't it and again like this movie if it had been like cut down to nonsense would we remember it the way we do well not mm. what i say we do because you only watched it yesterday but you know that generally i think this is a really well regarded movie quite rightly because it's fantastic and influential and just like it's not even a movie where i want i want to you know oh, i i, I want to be there and i'm like no i just i just enjoy being there for the ride yeah yeah and i think it I think it's probably more influential than we, we can maybe give credit, uh, you know, to the movie because not that it's inventing obviously the gangster drama at all because that's. You know, I think that's... I think most British like gangster films, especially Guy Ritchie, but there's I mean it's now gone to the point where like this movie is the grandfather of a lot of the movies that are coming out now I that think are based on the Guy Ritchie stuff that stole from this not you know that that cribbed from this movie yeah and totally. so but I do think it like it formalised a lot of the stuff we get in British British gangster movies, especially the kind of London gang aspect and, you know, the Cockney the Cockney likely guys and, and all of that is very much of that. I can't believe you haven't mentioned it yet, Sam. This is the second movie we've done in about six weeks where somebody is viciously murdered by a bottle on a boat. <gasps> this was... Yeah, because the last one, Cocktail... Cocktail, the Tom Cruise movie. That's right. What <laughs> wasn't murdered? He killed himself, which I he think murdered by himself under law, Sam. Illegal. <laughs> uh, going back and listen to that episode, previous episode, listen, you should hundred percent. We oh, talk about very oh, little else apart from the suicide on the boat, and also go on YouTube and watch my uh, fantastic edit of of that movie with full of comedy and good fun. Um, <laughs> like, comment, subscribe. Like, comment, subscribe. <laughs> Uh, you were deeply upset by that scene. You were quite, quite visibly affected by just how brutal it was. And I wonder if you were because there's something about being killed. The by a reason bottle. I was upset by it in Cocktail is because Cocktail is the bartending movie with Tom Cruise being sexy, and I just wasn't expecting it. This movie, it kind of like it. It's 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 the peak. It's kind of like a, the crescendo of. Bob Hoskins, the worst day of Bob Hoskins' life, basically, because most yes. of this movie takes place in the same day. Yeah. It is the crescendo of the worst day of who Bob dies? Hoskins' life. Who dies? Who gets killed? It's Charlie Fairhead or Jeff for the listeners who actually watch the movie. And so the once he are. admits what's he's what he's done with the Irish and again, situation, it's this really then... important character moment where Bob Hoskins is this vi- he's this thug. That's his like. I'll, that's I'll how he got that. to the position he's in is because he was the man who was quicker to fucking glass somebody than the ne- than the guy he glassed. And that's how he became influential. That's how he was- became running this gang. That's how he be- had these aspirations about building the Millennium Dome and the Shard, <laughs> the shard on Canary Wharf. Yeah, um, the Shard. The walkie-talkie, I think, is another one as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's this moment where he loses his temper and he loses his shit, and this guy has basically fucked all of his shit up, uh, to use the modern parlance. Um, and... So he just grabs his bottle and hit and just stab, stab, and the camera, a bit like Psycho, it goes with you as you're stabbing him in the throat, and somehow it's less visceral. Like I think it's a really good effect, I think it really works, but it's less it's less visceral than the suicide in in um, Cocktail. I think because it's not incongruous with the rest of the movie, it's by far yes. the most like violent bit of the movie. Um, and there's a great bit of trivia apparently where like. Of apparently there were quite a lot of gangsters, high as extras on this, and someone, an extra, 
who was someone who was on set when this scene was happening and the stabbing earlier, apparently, like, quietly told one of the ADs that that's, that's not how you stab someone. Like, not in a... And the guy was like... <laughs> oh, cheers, cheers, mate. Thank, that's great. Yeah, thank, yeah. I'll, you know I'll how, speak, like, you know I'll how speak to the director, the Godfather, star, loads of people who were actual like in the, you know, the mafia, basically. and you can tell because they just <laughs> you look, can tell because they, they can't just act. look like they just look like and they cannot act for shit because they're and like you know yeah totally. This movie again, like oh, I did. We just want some tough Lon- like Londoners, and it's like, well, where are we going to get tough Londoners? Let's go around some pubs, and the, half of them are going to be hardened criminals. Um, but the scene where on the boat, and it's and it's so you've got the grandeur of Bob Hoskins' new life versus like juxtaposed with the the, the oh. violence and the anarchy of his, of his old life and Wonderful. jeff who who kind of represents his like he's his protege he keeps mentioning how jeff went to school and he like i don't know whether that means it's 1980 whether he finished school or whether he went but, to uni but, or whatever but, but like but to you your it people all comes crashing down and it's a real like fuck yeah it's and not jeff, all gonna be okay we aren't gonna resolve this yeah Jeff is the yuppie though, isn't he? He is the eighties. He's smooth. He's 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 almost the antithesis of uh of, of Hoskins in that sense of like this guy's the up and comer, but you know, he's part of the he's, system. He's he's, he's, he's ne- well Jeff is the next generation. So he's he is like Hoskins where he's he's quite working class, but he went to school. He finished school, yeah. I think is the implication. And and apparently yeah. in Bob Hoskins Corporation that's a there's only like two or three of you who actually went to school. As nope. opposed to someone who was born in the nineteen forties, yeah. Hoskins B. Yeah, Do you know 40s. what I mean? Like we're, we're talking someone who is a is a baby boomer and and not a Gen X, I suppose. Maybe yeah. or, or, whereas well, Jeff is ten or fifteen years younger, and the implication yeah. is, or even though actually I was re looking at the ages. Uh, there's only four years between them. In yeah, age. yeah. they do like, dress him up. You well, look like a potato, um, <laughs> and he remains so. Especially go back to ending the gates. Oh my god, oh yes. my god. Um, but again, it's this, it's this wonderful scene of violence, and like we haven't really seen Bob Hoskins do anything violent up until this point. Really, he's kind of yeah. there in a passive way where he's telling people to commit violence, um, but mm. it's. I could watch this movie again now. I've seen this like five or six times and I only watched it for the first time four or five years ago. Um, it is. It just... one of, it's one of those really like captivating movies. And, and again, you know, just back to that point about like, I, I, I was a little bit confused going through, but I think in some ways that's the point, isn't it? Because you're supposed to be befuddled. You're supposed to be... A little bit. It's supposed to be discordant because that's how Hoskins feels. That's how his, as you say, it's the worst exactly. day of his life, and, and 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 almost channeling that. And I think it's one of those movies again that really does uh, improve on a rewatch because you don't have to worry about that anymore. You know what's going on, and well, so you what catch. you can do is enjoy the content. You can enjoy what's yeah. presented to you. And like a really any really good movie, the more you watch it, the more the funnier it gets. Um... Like there's quite a lot of really funny like lines in this. We we said at the beginning we haven't obviously explained. I haven't explained it yet. How why we find the phrase "ashitum" like <laughs> the funniest thing in the world. Um, yeah. And it's it's Sean Bean. As anything, it's about Sean Bean. Uh, previous episode on Sharp. Um, in Sharp, Sean Bean in the, the soldier in the Napoleonic Wars is on a hill uh, shooting at some Frenchman, obviously, and he shouts, 
what you're waiting for. Your cavalry, I shit em. And he's screaming this at retreating French soldiers that they're shooting in 1810 or whenever it is. And it's such a... Like, it's just Sean Bean talking like Sean Bean talks, but it's just so... Inco- and I, it's think it, great. I think it connects to your, obviously, you know, from Yorkshire as well, and just just that general attitude of, you know... It it, it, it don't matter what, you, what you're saying. I, I, you know, wh- whatever it is, I shit them. And to have... <laughs> it's, just, it's so... It doesn't make any sense. It's not, the, it's not English, but it it's is. great. Um, and Bob Hoskins <laughs> yeah. says it in this movie, and you're like... It's just so funny. And the other one I really liked was, um, so because they don't want the police involved, when his friend Colin gets stabbed at the swimming baths, they don't call the police, they call Bob Hoskins. And he arrives and has the body taken away to the abattoir. And they move him in an ice cream van because it's the only refrigerated van they've got. And Bob Hoskins goes, going out like a raspberry ripple. There's a lot of dignity in that. Like, that's the line and it's we don't pause to laugh at it we just move on but it's like he's quite funny like it's quite funny i had not i did not notice that line that is um is, is that genuinely in the movie it's genuine as they're loading colin's body into the ice cream van that's driving off but possibly, going out like it's not a meant raspberry to be ripple it's meant to be like fuck's sake this is disgusting you know this is horrible he's like Going out like a raspberry ripple. There's a lot of dignity in that, like sarcastically. And again, again, it's so British and it feels like it's just comfortable in that way because it's... Get it's, that line you know, in your movie, Scorsese. I challenge you. In a way that I wonder if like the Scorsese movies and like gangster movies, like, mobster movies, I wonder if there's a similar like familiarity if, you, if you're from New York, for instance. Mm, Not even necessarily Italian-American, D- but like... There must the, be, mustn't there? you remember the era and you, the, the way that people speak and the way that people act maybe feels familiar, which we don't get. And that's part of the reason why I enjoy those movies so much is because it's this alien kind of like, I only know it from movies, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed this because I know this from like living in Britain. <laughs> people still talk, not quite like this, but like a bit like this. And it's all very familiar. Your time as a, as a 1980s gangster, it's all, it's all very familiar to you, isn't it? I understand. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, no, yeah. it's just what I mean. It's the sarcastic <laughs> no, I, response I'm... of, your best mate has been killed. They're loading him into an ice cream van, and you, you, your mate, you make a sarcastic joke about Dave, like if, that, if and you're, that's not understood to be. My God, this guy's absolutely heartless. It's like, uh, yeah, if you're this is killed, a really shit situation, Bob. If you're killed in a dramatic way, I only wish to uh, come up with a line as funny as that to 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 send you off. You know, if there's if I can if I can reach that that level of humour um, as you die. You know, well, it's the funniness. A horrible death. You have to say it with a bitterness that, that, that I, as a British person, if I was alive, obviously I'm dead in this situation, uh, I would understand <laughs> that you were actually terribly upset. But what you'd said was a really funny thing. Like an American yeah. would be horrified by that. Because um, they're so yeah. literal. They have no nuance. Exa- unlike, exactly. And there's the nuance of this movie. And I'm just in love with this movie. And, and, and it's not even like the director made loads and loads of movies and loads and loads of really well-made movies. It's just this is singular uh, in a way that I think um, I'll keep coming back to it and keep recommending it to people. I mean, I guess you and, and Ross. I even think Ross would have enjoyed this. Although maybe yeah, no, he I think got, maybe he would have got bogged down in Irish pedanticness. Maybe, I, but I think you're right. I think Ross would have enjoyed it. I think it is a really enjoyable movie. So I would definitely say it's a strong recommend for me, especially if you're into any kind of gangster movie, because you're going to get. If you a like lot Guy Ritchie movies, you'll like this because Guy Ritchie liked this, which is why Guy Ritchie's Guy Ritchie. And that's Guy why Ritchie. he was. That's why he was sat in the cinema 
<laughs> I can't even say anymore. <laughs> the audience knows what I mean, Sam. That's powerful. That's powerful, powerful imagery stuff. that I'm not quite. I'm not quite able to. Pro- especially because you'd be in Australia as well. You know. No, it's Australian. That. I did not know that. Apparently, I think so. We heard that on the last episode. We didn't even use it on our cocktail episode. No, I think we did, and, and that's where I got did it we? from. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, audience, uh, I'm going to leave you with just another reminder of Guy Ritchie wanking to this movie <laughs> in the mid 1980s. In the theatre. Ooh. Ooh.